0: Our scripture comes today, two sections from Matthew 13. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, Then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom." The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man send will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom, everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. This is the word of God for the people of God.
1: Thank you, Marley. Won't you please join me in a word of prayer now? Let's bow our heads. Oh, Lord God, as we open our hearts and minds to the truth and power and wisdom of your word, we pray that your Holy Spirit would work through your word to speak to our hearts, to remind us of truth, to inspire and challenge us to go out and live as your people now and always. We are open and receptive. Do a good work in us, we pray. And all God's people said. A couple of years ago, a young mother and blogger named Deborah Mitchell wrote a blog entitled Why I Raise My Children Without God. The blog got picked up and posted on CNN's website and then it went viral and it generated a lot of conversation about religious faith, parenting, the meaning and purpose of life. The primary argument that this young mom, Deborah, gave for rejecting a belief in God in her own life and raising her children to not believe in God, the primary reason she gave was a common one that many people often give. She concluded that there's so much evil pain and suffering in the world that there cannot be a God, a loving, all-powerful, all-good God. For a loving, all-powerful, all-good God would not allow mass murders and wars and rape and child abuse and All kinds of terrible things, famines and diseases. A loving God would never allow those sorts of things. Therefore, because those things exist, there must not be a God. Now, even if you and I might not totally agree with Deborah's worldview, we can understand how she got there. I mean, you do have to look around and recognize there are a lot of terrible things that happen in our world. And faced with this overwhelming reality of evil, pain and suffering, many people conclude... That there cannot be an all-loving, all-good, all-powerful God. Whenever I talk to people who are agnostic or atheist or skeptic and we get to talking about belief in God, almost always this is the number one reason they give. They say, there isn't a God. Look at all the terrible things that happen. And if there is a God, an all-loving, all-powerful, all-good God who's ruling over the universe and He stands by and sees these sorts of things that happen and He doesn't prevent them or stop them, then He certainly isn't a God worthy of our worship, respect, trust, or obedience. Now, I think it's possible, and I bet you do too, I think it's possible to draw a much different set of conclusions from the reality of evil, pain, and suffering. But we have to admit, if you're a Christ follower, if you're a believer in God, if you're a worshiper of God, you have to admit that it is challenging to hold these two truths in our lives, that that evil, pain, and suffering is real, and yet we have an all-loving, all-powerful, all-good God in charge of the universe. It's hard to figure it all out, isn't it? Welcome back to our study of Jesus. The life, the teachings, the miracles of Jesus. As I mentioned a few weeks ago, we're going to be spending a whole season in the life of our church focusing in on Jesus so we can understand who He is, what He did, and why that matters. And as we start this study, uh, the past couple of weeks we've been looking at the stories of That Jesus told these stories are called parables and a parable is a short story with a meaning to it, with a point to it, with a lesson attached. And in the ancient world, when people didn't have books to read and they didn't have notes to take and they didn't have iPads to work with in the ancient world, teachers often used stories as a way of conveying important truth to people. And historians acknowledge that of all the great teachers, Jesus was a master storyteller. And the Bible is full of stories that Jesus told that have a meaning and a purpose to them. So we're looking at some of those stories this summer. We're looking at the stories to see what is the meaning, what is the point, what is the truth that Jesus is communicating, but we're not stopping there. Then we're asking the question, what do I do with that truth? How does that impact my life? How am I supposed to live in response to the meaning of the story? Now, today's story is an interesting one. Jesus tells about a wealthy farmer, and we know he's wealthy because he has servants, wealthy farmer who goes out one day into his field and he plants wheat, seeds of wheat. Not long after he does this, while he's sleeping one night, an enemy comes in with seeds of weeds and plants seeds of weeds in among the, the seeds of the wheat. And then they both start to sprout. Now it's interesting, when Jesus describes this, the word he uses for weeds in the original text in the Aramaic is the word zinzania, And zinzania was a special Particular kind of weed that grew and still grows in the Middle East. And what makes this particular kind of weed so interesting, uh, is that when it's growing, when it's starting to grow, it looks almost identical to weed. You can't tell the difference. And as it gets bigger and bigger, you still can't tell the difference. It's only until about a week or two before harvest when the, the, the weeds and the grain start to sprout heads that's when you begin to see the difference. Here I've got a couple of pictures. The, the zazania gets translated into our English word for tares. Or some of your Bibles may have a translation of darnell, but it's the same same weed. And you can see on on the left here, my left. Well, your left too, I guess, if you're facing it. Uh, you see, that's wheat. And then next to it, there is the the tares or the darnell or the zazania. And it's really hard to tell the difference until just before the harvest. And so... As the story goes, it's near harvest time, and now the servants who've been watching over the field recognize, oh my gosh, there's a lot of weeds in here. And they ask the master, didn't you plant weed? And the master said, yes, but an enemy has gone in, obviously, and sown uh, weeds among the wheat. And then the, the servants say, well, do you want us to go through and pull out the weeds? Now, the farmer's response to that is very instructive here. The farmer says, no, 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 don't, don't at this point, don't do that. Because by now, the, the roots of the weeds have grown down deep into the soil. They've intertangled with the, the, the roots of the wheat. If you go in and try to pull up the weeds, you'll pull up the wheat along with it. He says, just leave it. And in a couple weeks when the harvest is here, that's when we'll separate the weeds from the wheat. And the weeds will bundle up and will throw into the fire. Jesus ends the story there. The disciples... They're not exactly sure what the point is. They know there's a point, but they're not sure what it is. So after the crowd is dispersed and they're all relaxing in a house somewhere, the disciples come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, can you explain to us what you were trying to say with that story about the weeds and the wheat? And fortunately for the disciples, Jesus explains the story. And fortunately for us, it's written in the Bible. So we know the explanation too. Notice beginning in verse 37, Jesus says this. The one who sowed the seed, the good seed, is the Son of Man. That's Jesus identifying Himself. The field is the world. The good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. That's those who respond to Jesus' message, seek to love, serve, and follow Him. And then He says, the weeds are the sons of the evil one. And in case you don't know who the evil one is, Jesus explains it in the next sentence. He says, the enemy who sows them is the devil. The devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the harvesters are the angels. And then Jesus goes on to say when harvest day comes, the angels will come and they'll pull up the weeds and the weeds will be cast into the burning flames and the the wheat will be harvest, harvested and those who are part of God's kingdom will shine like suns in the kingdom of God. That's the story. And as we Read this story and reflect upon it this morning. I want us to see that there is a, uh, a painful truth we have to accept. But there's also a beautiful promise that we get to celebrate. A painful truth we have to accept and a beautiful promise to celebrate. So let's start with the painful truth we have to accept. Evil is real. Suffering is real. Pain is real. This is a painful truth we have to accept in this life. God allows it to exist for now. There are weeds in the garden, brothers and sisters. We aren't given all the reasons why, but we know that we exist. We don't look at evil and say it's not really evil. We don't look at weeds and say they're not really weeds. We acknowledge the painful reality. In this world, there is both good and evil, both positive and negative. Jesus assures us that God is aware of this and God is still in charge. Now, theologians, philosophers, Bible teachers, we, we try to wrestle with this question. If God is in charge, why is there evil? Why would a good, loving God allow evil? The Bible gives us some of the answer, not all of it. Some of the answer, Jesus explains in today's story, part of it is because of the devil. The devil is real. He's not equal with God. His power is limited, but the devil knows how to corrupt and disrupt and influence people to make poor choices. So some of the stuff that happens is because the devil is sowing the seed of evil and unrighteousness in the world. We don't like to think about the devil. We like to pretend he's some mythological creature with, you know, horns and a pointy tail and we kind of joke about it and make horror movies about it, but Jesus indicates the devil's very real. Not to think so is naive. Part of the Suffering and tragedy and pain of the world is the influence of the evil one. Part of it, the Bible says, is free will. That God created the world and created you and me and gave us this amazing gift of free will to make our own choices and decisions. But the choices and decisions we make have real consequences in the real world. And sometimes the pain and evil suffering that we experience comes from the freedom to choose. Why would God give us freedom to choose? So that love could exist. See, love can't be forced. Love can only be freely chosen. Because God values love so much and wants a love relationship with His creation. God put us in this environment of free will where we can choose whether or not we're going to love Him and love one another. And here's the deal. The same freedom that allows you and I to choose to love also allows people to choose not to love, choose to hate. The same freedom that allows for a Mother Teresa to make her set of choices and live her kind of life Allows for an Adolf Hitler to make his kind of choices and live his kind of life. So, part of the evil, suffering, and tragedy is the devil. Part of it is free will. And then, part of it, according to the scripture, is that all of creation is broken in some way. We don't understand fully, but part of the consequences of sin in our world is that creation is not as God intended it to be. There are famines, there are earthquakes, there are tornadoes, there are tsunamis. There are fires and floods and stuff that happens. The Bible doesn't explain it all, but says this. All of creation is groaning in the anticipation of the day of redemption. We live in a broken world and bad stuff happens. Natural disasters happen. In fact, when you read through the Scripture, you find as the the harvest day approaches, as the judgment day approaches, as the final end of this age approaches, those kind of natural disasters are only going to increase... And Jesus says in Matthew 24, that's a sign that the end is coming near. It's not a sign that God is not in charge. It's a sign that God's getting ready to bring the harvest. The bottom line, friends, is simply this. And you've heard me say this if you've been here for a while. This is earth, not heaven. Right? This is earth, not heaven. Painful reality to accept. If you go around expecting earth to be heaven, you'll be very disappointed. And you'll be very cynical and frustrated and irritated and bitter and resentful because this is not heaven. This is earth. Jesus says in this earth, in this life, in this world, you will have tribulation. There will be storms. There'll be disappointments. There'll be tragedies. It's not the whole story, but it's part of the story. No need to be pessimistic, but we do need to be realistic. Until harvest day, there will be weeds in the garden. Not to think so is naive. This young mom, Deborah Mitchell, who wrote the blog, see, she's frustrated. She's frustrated because earth is not heaven. She looks around. She sees the pain and the suffering and the struggle going on. She sees the weeds in the garden. And so she's going to conclude, because there's weeds, there's no God. Right? And we're all just random accidents. And we all just got to... Accept that fact. We're all really insignificant. Jesus speaks to you and me and says, She's wrong. There is a God. And a harvest day is coming. Good and evil exist side by side in the field. See, the problem is not that there is no God. The problem is the assumption we bring to interpreting reality. And we bring this assumption that if there is a good, mighty, loving God, there will not be evil. Jesus says, Don't assume that. Don't assume that this is earth, not heaven. There will be weeds in the garden. That's the painful truth. It's truth, but it's painful truth. And so alongside this painful truth, Jesus gives us this beautiful promise. And here's the beautiful promise. It won't always be this way. Evil, pain, suffering will come to an end. A harvest day is coming. A separation. The weeds will get pulled out of the garden. That's a beautiful promise. We celebrate. The Kingdom of God is here partially now. We see glimpses of it in the good that does exist. In the wheat that is growing. In the good ways God blesses us and we become a blessing to others And the promise is the good that we experience in part now will come in all of its fullness someday. It's not here yet, but it's, it's coming. That's why we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The reason we pray that is because the kingdom hadn't fully come yet. God's will isn't done perfectly on earth as it is in heaven. But someday God's going to answer our prayer with a mighty yes. Now is the time. Harvest Day is here. Judgment Day will arrive. Judgment Day. Another name for Harvest Day. We modern Christians, we don't like the idea of judgment. Don't like the idea of Judgment Day. Don't like it much. Because it sounds so judgmental. So intolerant. So hateful. Dividing the world into us and them. The good and the bad. Goes against the grain of our modern thinking. Sounds like an angry preacher pointing a bony finger, trying to manipulate people with fear. Watch out for the fires of hell and the coming judgment, right? right. Listen, friends, nobody talked more about judgment than Jesus. Just saying. Now, when Jesus talked about judgment, he wasn't doing it out of hateful intolerance. He wasn't trying to manipulate people with fear. Yes, there was some warning there. He was warning, but mostly he was promising it's meant to be a beautiful promise for those of us who are wheat in the field, for those of us who have responded to his invitation to be his people. The, 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 the talk of judgment is not meant to be something we fear. It's meant to be something that gives us relief in the midst of the painful reality of the suffering that's all around us and the evil that exists. Jesus is saying to us in the story, hey, justice delayed is not justice denied. There'll come a day when the weeds will get pulled, separated, destroyed. Don't assume that judgment day isn't coming just because it hasn't come yet. I can still remember many years ago now when my wife was pregnant with our second child, our daughter. And, uh, you know, we got a due date when the baby was expected. We sailed right past that due date. Jessica was born almost two weeks late. I think 10, 12 days late. And, uh, you know, after we got past the due date, we figured, well, anytime now, anytime now. But every day kept coming and going. No baby. Now, could you imagine a day, 8, 9, 10? Could you imagine if I looked over at my wife and I said, you're not really pregnant. What, what have you been eating? Could you imagine me doing that? No. She was pregnant. The baby was coming. Just because the baby hadn't come yet doesn't mean the baby isn't coming. What Jesus is saying to you and to me, as we look around and see the evil pain and suffering, just because the judgment day hadn't come yet, just because the weeds haven't been pulled out yet, don't think it's not coming. And that's meant to be a promise to give us strength in the midst of the painful reality of life. And so the real question we have to ask is, how do we live in light of the painful reality of evil, suffering, tragedy all around us, the weeds in the garden? And in light of the beautiful promise, how how are we, how are you and I supposed to order our lives? How are we supposed to live? Well, here's what we don't do. We don't shake, shake an angry fist at heaven and curse God because he doesn't run the universe the way we think he should. We don't shake an angry fist at heaven and curse God because He doesn't run the universe the way we think He should. Can I get an amen on that? Because see, there's this tendency for us to want to do that. And we don't tell our children that there is no God because He doesn't order the universe to suit our assumptions of what the universe ought to be. Now, listen, it is good and healthy and wise to wrestle with important questions in life. And certainly the question, why does a loving God allow evil, pain, and suffering? I think that's a, that's a fair question to wrestle with. But friends, as we wrestle with that question, we need to have enough humility to acknowledge that we wrestle with this question from a limited perspective. Jesus doesn't tell us all the reasons why God allows us. He gives us some answers as we've already talked about But what he gives us is a promise that God won't allow it forever. Really, not that much longer. We need to come to terms with the fact that we don't have all the answers. In fact, maybe what we need to do is have the humility to accept the fact that God hasn't given us all the answers. And that's okay. I say this sometimes to people who struggle with this whole idea. I say, God gives us two really great gifts. He gives us answers. And he gives us promises, answers and promises. And God, because he's a good God, gives us lots of answers. One of the reasons I'm a Christian pastor is because Christianity gives such realistic, honest and satisfying answers about so much of life and what's beyond life. But we don't have all the answers. And here's what here's what you find when the answers stop. The promises begin. It's like God says, I'll give you this much info, but beyond that, you're just going to have to trust me. And then you and I have to decide, do the answers I have, are they sufficient enough that I'm willing now to trust in the promises where I don't have answers? And this story reminds us that we have lots of good answers, but not all the answers. Are we willing to trust that God knows what he's doing, even when we can't fully understand it? So here's what we don't do. We don't shake a fist at heaven and curse God, tell our kids not to believe in God because there's evil, suffering, and pain in the world, and we don't understand why. Second thing we don't do is we don't ignore evil, or suffering, or pain. See, we we, we don't want to do that either. we got to accept the painful reality. And accepting the painful reality means we also accept responsibility for doing something about it. Don't misinterpret the story. Just because Jesus tells the servants not to pull up all the weeds right away, Jesus is not saying we don't deal with the very real evil, pain, and suffering in our world. No. The truth of the matter is, we are the wheat in the field, and the purpose of the wheat is to bear good fruit. In fact, we know from Jesus, He stood against evil and worked against evil and calls us to do the same, to alleviate pain and suffering as best we can, to bear good fruit. He tells His followers to overcome evil with good. And so our job is not to gather in a holy huddle and wring our hands and say, oh, isn't it awful? Life is terrible. There's so much suffering in the world. Why doesn't God fix it? Let's just ignore it and wait for the harvest. No. Our job is to say, what does God want us to do in the midst of it all? To bear good fruit for His glory. Amen? See, sometimes we get so fixated on the why does God allow this to happen question that we miss out on the more relevant question, which is what does God want me to do in response to what happened? Right? That's why we exist as a church. In this field of the world. To bear good fruit. To be a light. To overcome evil with good. Simple example. Think about this for a second. This church believes that it's evil and wrong for young children to struggle in school and get tired of school and give up on school because they have difficulty with their homework. So what do we do about that? We have volunteer tutors who go into the school and work with the kids, the at-risk kids, to help them develop a love for studying and reading and learning so they can do better in school and have the encouragement they need. Because we think that's something that would please the Lord. That's one of the ways we bear good fruit. Overcome evil with good. We think it's sinful and wrong that children in Africa live on the street and get involved in human trafficking. So what do we do? We start the Child Rescue Center. Takes children off the street. Gives them a place to live. Three square meals a day. Educates them. Teaches them about Jesus. Gives them health care. We think it's sinful and wrong and not God's will that people live in poverty and hunger. So that's why we go to Costa Rica and give out beans and rice. That's why we put together 75,000 meals this spring and sent them over to Haiti to the children there. I'm telling you, friends, this is why we do the food pantry here locally and alleviate hunger right in our own community because we believe that in a world where there is pain and suffering and tragedy and difficulty, God calls us to overcome evil with good, to bear fruit, makes a huge difference. Does it solve the problem? Does it eliminate the weeds? Does it put an end to all evil, pain, and suffering? No. We know it won't. Not until the harvest day. But until the harvest day, we've got work to do. Amen? Right? I sometimes hear complaints about how the church is all about money and the church only cares about money, and the leaders of the church always talk about money, money, money. Church should focus on doing good in the world and not focus on money. I agree with that, but hey, sometimes we talk about money here and We care about money here because we see what money can do when it's employed for God's glory in the world. That's part of our responsibility, whether it's with muscle or money, whether it's with rolled up sleeves or open checkbooks, whether it's with our time or with our tithe. And the truth is, it ought to be both. But the bottom line is, we do what we can do to represent Jesus in this field. And we grow. To be good wheat, bearing good fruit. We don't have any false hopes that we're going to solve all the problems of the world and we don't curse the world because there are weeds in it and we don't conclude that God doesn't exist. We recognize our calling to be His people. To do what Jesus calls us to do. And Jesus speaks to me from the pages of the Scripture and He says, look, there's a painful truth you've got to accept in this world. Evil, suffering, pain is real. He said, there's also a beautiful problem promise you need to celebrate in this world. God's going to fix it all. There may be weeds in the garden, but a day is coming. Harvest Day will be here. Let me just add a personal note to some of you this morning. Because I read the prayer requests and pray over them. I talk to you, some of you, in between services and get emails from you. I know for some of you. This is not just some theoretical discussion about evil in the world and suffering in the world. Some of you have weeds in your own garden right now. Divorce papers you got in the mail. Cancer diagnosis from a doctor. A job you lost. Kids going in the wrong direction. A loved one caught in addiction. A loved one you've lost and you're still grieving over that loss. Hey, the evil real Evil is real, suffering is real, and it's very personal for many of us. But but let me just say, friends, what you don't want to do in the midst of that is draw the wrong conclusion. That God doesn't love you, that God doesn't care, that we're all just here by accident. Because God doesn't promise that He will prevent us from experiencing pain and suffering and tragedy. He only promises He'll use it for His redemptive purposes. And the worst thing we can do when we're going through difficult times, the worst thing we can do is turn our back on God. Stop praying. Stop worshiping. Stop believing. The worst thing we can do is to use the pain and the suffering and the tragedy as a reason to walk away from our faith. Proverbs 24.10 says, if you stumble in times of trial, how small, how weak is your faith? The reality is the times of trial are meant to allow us the opportunity to strengthen our faith and to demonstrate that our strength comes from the Lord. So let me encourage you. Hey, when you're going through hard times, we understand and we want to be a place where you'll get comfort and encouragement. We'll let you grieve for a little while because you've got to grieve sometimes. But the bottom line is our job is not to whine and complain because there are weeds in our garden. Our job is to do the work that God calls us to do in the midst of those weeds. Humbly trusting in His wisdom and timing. Relying on His power. Investing our resources wisely and well. Giving Him all the glory as we bear good fruit. And overcome evil with good.